0: Spell before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you during this very special day, this Feast of Trumpets, the day that likely, very likely, marks the return of your Son and also the resurrection of the saints. We pray that what we do during this day would be honoring to you, that we would strive to understand your ways, to understand your word, and more importantly, to apply that word and to be a light in a very dark world. Father, we thank you now for those here, we thank you for those watching online, we pray for your blessings, your special blessings to be upon all those here and striving to do your will, and we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name, hallelujah, amen. Y'all may be seated, it is a blessing to be here, blessing to see you all here, and a blessing to uh, see the fall feast. As you know, several confirmed last night's new moon, it was a bit uncertain, and uh, we were a little bit concerned, but we had witnesses from Texas and Arizona and Missouri, of all places, I didn't think anybody would see it here, Tennessee, and I believe California, so a good uh, number of folks who saw and confirmed the uh, beginning of the seventh scriptural month Today marks one of the most important days on Yahweh's calendar, and that is the Feast of Trumpets. Very important day. Not only is it a new moon day, but it's also a day that holds great prophetic promise and insight into His Word. This time likely foreshadows the second coming of our Savior, and with that also the resurrection of the saints. Based on Jewish tradition, this day also begins the 10 days of repentance, also known as the days of awe. During this time, Jewish believers reflect upon their lives and repent before their Father in Heaven. Now, even though this is more of a tradition, I believe it's always a good idea to reflect upon our lives, to repent before the one we worship. This day is also known by other names. The most common of these names is Rosh Hashanah, meaning head of the year. I'm sure we've all heard that, Rosh Hashanah. Head of the year. We try to refrain from using this name since it's not really the beginning of the year. For the Jews, this time begins what they call the civil year. But the problem is the Bible begins a year in the spring, not in the fall. So we don't find this reckoning within Scripture. Now, this day is also called by another name, and that is Yom Teruah, roughly meaning the day of the awakening blast. And uh, it was a day of blowing of trumpets, as we'll see. As As I've already mentioned, this day prophetically also points to the second coming of Yahshua and the resurrection of those in the Messiah. I want to begin in the beginning. I want to go back and read the command, and then we're going to look at the prophetic importance of this day. So the first passage here is Leviticus 23, 24 through 25. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying... In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. We see here the feast of trumpets is on the first day of the seventh month. In fact, again, it's the only day on a new moon. It's the only feast day on a new moon day. We also see here that it's a Sabbath or a day of rest. So as we're to do on the weekly Sabbath, it says here that we're to rest from our servile work, from our mundane work. Another important point here is that this day is a holy convocation. What does that mean, holy convocation? The word holy is from the Hebrew Kodesh. It refers to something sacred, something set apart. And the word convocation is from the Hebrew mikra, kodesh mikra. Strongs defines this word as something called out that is a public meeting, also rehearsal. So we find here that kodesh mikra refers to a holy time, a time to gather and to fellowship and to worship, which also foreshadows a future rehearsal. And we know that's certainly the case with this feast, that it represents a future rehearsal of something greater to come. And we also see here that this feast is a memorial. It says it's a memorial of blowing of trumpets. The word memorial comes from the Hebrews of Kron. It refers to a reminder or to remembrance. Now, what is this day of remembrance of? What are we remembering today? unlike, Unlike the other feasts, there's no one event that we find connected with this feast in the Old Testament. That being said, we also we, we do find the trumpet all throughout the Old Testament. I want to look at a few examples of that. The main example is what we find in Numbers 10, 1 through 10. But before that, we know there were two types of trumpets. One was the shofar, and we've heard the shofar quite a bit. That's what we have around here. Shofar is a ram's horn or some sort of animal horn. And we also know that there were the silver trumpets. Now I'm going to read about the silver trumpets. So Numbers 10... I don't have it on the slide here, so I have to uh, do the old-fashioned way. If you want, and follow with me, or just listen—does not matter. So, numbers ten is the passage we find these two horns, these trumpets. Verse one says, "And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Make the two trumpets of silver of a whole piece. Thou shalt make them so." We see, number one, that it was a whole piece of silver, not multiple pieces. It, it wasn't fit together by multiple pieces, but one piece. It says, shall thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of assembly, for the sojourning of the camps. So it describes here when and how these horns were to be used, these trumpets. It says, when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So again, depending on the blow, this would determine how Israel would respond to this horn or to this trumpet. And if they blow, but with one trumpet, then the princesses, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. When you blow an alarm, then the camp that lie on the east parts shall go forward. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall, make, shall take their journey they shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not blow an alarm. So again, we see that there were different types of some blows depending on how they would use these trumpets. Verse 8, and the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in the land against The enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before Yahweh Elohim, and that you shall be saved from your enemies. So we find here a sense of protection. Yahweh says, When you use these alarms, when you use these trumpets, I'm going to hear you, I'm going to respond. So we find that these trumpets were used many ways, but mainly through movement and alarm. And here we find that Yahweh responded when they Blew the trumpets. Verse 10, it says, Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginning of months. Those are the new moons. New moons. You know, some people, they don't believe that the new moons are important. Here we find that the trumpets were used during the new moons. It was active worship during these times. The beginning of months. You shall blow with the trumpets over the burnt offerings, and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your Elohim. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. So we find here the trumpets, the two silver trumpets that Yahweh commanded Israel to make. How were these used? How were these trumpets used? Well, as we've seen throughout this passage, they were used in many ways, one, to assemble the camp, That's one way in which they were used. They were used for movement. If they had to move from one area to another, they would use the the trumpets. They were used as an alarm to alert the camp that danger was near. They were also used during times of worship. We find here specifically, it says, days of gladness. This is one of these days of gladness, the feast days, the holy days that Our Father in heaven is set apart. We also see that these trumpets were blown during the new moons. Again, indicator that the new moons are important. The new moons are something we should be doing. The new moons are something we should be active to and not ignoring. And finally, we see here that the trumpets were used for offerings. When they would offer to Almighty Yahweh, they would use these trumpets. I believe Yahweh responded to these trumpets. Again, we find here that when there was an alarm, Yahweh would hear that alarm and he would respond. This was Yahweh's way of responding to the camp and also Israel to communicate within the camp. You know, it's also important here to notice that the blowing of the trumpets was a remembrance. We see that word remembrance in verse 9 and a memorial in verse 10. The word remember in verse 9 refers to Yahweh's deliverance. Again, that he's going to hear the trumpet, and he's going to respond and deliver the camp. The word memorial in verse 10 refers to his worship, refers to his days of gladness, refers to his beginning of months, refers to the offerings that would be offered during these special times. As I've already mentioned, this feast is prophetic. This feast points to something great. This feast points to a future event. It foreshadows the second coming of Yahshua the Messiah, And again, with that, it remembers and it foreshadows and it marks the first resurrection, the resurrection of the saints. These events are coupled together. They are coupled together. I want to first talk about Yahshua's coming. This is also known as the day of Yahweh, or some say the day of the Lord, but we find here this time really refers to Yahshua's coming. And we see an example of this in Joel. Joel chapter 2. 1 through 2, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. This is one of many examples, by the way, speaking about the trumpets, speaking about this, this alarm that we receive through these trumpets, whether it be the silver trumpets of the shofar. But it says, Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of Yahweh cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Listen to how scripture defines and describes the day of Yahweh. It says, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and a thick darkness. As a morning spread upon the mountains of great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years, it says, of many generations. Joel here again mentions this day of Yahweh. This again is a reference to the second coming of Yahshua the Messiah. This is not a day of worship as so many believe and and, and, and teach. As the prophet Joel says here, we're not to, to desire, we're not to long, we're not to covet this day that Yahweh has set for judgment. This is going to be a dark day. It's going to be a dark day. Joel says here not to, to again covet this day. There's not going to be another day like it. That's how bad this time is going to be. There's not going to be another day like it. Yahshua in the Olivet Prophecy, our Savior, the Messiah said this. Here's what he said in the Olivet Prophecy in the New Testament. He says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. These were the words of our Savior. These are the words of the Messiah. He's saying that no day, no time, will rival the destruction the darkness that we will see at this moment this day of Yahweh the destruction the gloominess and again it's for this reason we're not to covet this day some people they say I want the day of Yahweh to come no we don't now we certainly want our savior to return but we do not want to go through this day of Yahweh To simply call this a day of mourning would be an understatement as we see in the book of Revelation at the Messiah's second coming, even the great men, I'm going to refer to this later, but the great men, and they're going to cry out in fear and trepidation because of what this day brings. There's no rank, there's no status that is greater than the one who will return. Now in Amos 5, verse 18, we find another reference to this day. It says, Woe unto you that desire the day of Yahweh. Doesn't sound like something we should desire, does it? It says to what end is it for you? The day of Yahweh's darkness and not light. And if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and the serpents bit him, shall not the day of Yahweh be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? We're again told here not to long for this day, not to long, not to covet the day of Yahweh. The day of Yahweh is a day of darkness, not light. And listen, there is no escape from this day. There will be no escape from this day. There's a lot of prideful men. They believe that they are above any mighty one, that they can do all things. Or there's coming a day when these mighty men will crumble in fear. As we see here, this day will be one who flees from a line and meets a bear. Or a man who enters his house puts his hand against the wall and is bit by a snake. You see, there's no escaping. There's no running. There's no fleeing from the day of Yahweh. There's no escape from his wrath. Through this prophet, Yahweh asks here, "What to what end uh, is it for you? On one hand, this day will be a day of trepidation, a day of fear. On the other hand, it will be a day of blessings and a day of redemption for Yahweh's people. As we know, after Yahweh pours out his wrath upon mankind, Yahshua will then gather his elect. He will gather the believers. So the question is, will this be a day of retribution or a day of blessing for you? Listen, just because we're here today, just because we're in the faith, doesn't mean we're called and chosen. It doesn't mean we're going to endure to the end. Yahshua in the Olivet Prophets, he said only those who endure to the end would be saved. And we also know from Ezekiel, it's not what we do in the beginning, it's what we do in the end. If we follow Yahweh, if we do his will, if we live a life of righteousness, and then in the end of our days, we rebel against him. Yahweh is not going to remember what we do in the beginning. He's going to judge us based on what we do in the end. So what is the day of Yahweh for us? What will this hold for us? Are we going to be blessed? Is Yahweh going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Is Yahweh going to say, you've done a great job? Is Yahweh going to reward us with eternal life? Or is he going to say, wicked servant, my slothful servant, the one who would not and did not do as he should? Now, for those who are found worthy, we know that Yahshua's coming represents a time of great redemption. And this is why this day is so important. It's what it represents. It's a day of great redemption. It's a great day of great promise. His coming will bring a change like nothing we've ever experienced. There's no words I can say today to fully convey the meaning and the significance of what this day is. I want to read what Paul says. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. We all know this verse. Should. Should. 1 Thessalonians 4 13 through 18, it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is simply referring to death. Paul's saying here, Don't be concerned about those who've died. Don't be concerned about those who've passed on. He says, Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You see, through the Messiah, we have a great hope. And there's no reason to be sorrowful, there's no reason to be concerned. If we lived a life of righteousness, if we ran that race, we know that there's a crown awaiting for us. It says, For if we believe that Yahshua died and rose again, even so Elohim will bring with him those who sleep in Yahshua. For this we say to you by the word of Yahweh, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Master will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Master himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel. And listen, it says, with a trumpet of Elohim. So here we see a reference to the trumpet. It says, and the dead in Messiah shall will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the master in the air. And thus we shall always be with the master. Therefore comfort one another with these words." Paul says here that we should not be ignorant of what is to come. That again, we should not be sorrowful for those who have passed on. While some view death as an end, we find here for those in the Messiah, death is only the beginning. And it really is. I've said in the past, how can we compare 70, 80, maybe 90 years to eternity? Well, the answer is we can't. We can't compare 70, 80, 90 years to living forever. That's a drop in the bucket in fact, when you live wherever, there is no bucket because we continue to go on, to live on, as the angels do, as we'll see later in this message. When our Savior returns at the sound of that great trumpet, all those who are faithful to him will be resurrected. And this is why Yahshua's second coming and the resurrection are coupled. They're connected. They occur at the same time. Paul says here that the dead and Messiah will rise first, then those who are yet alive. We see that there's an order. We see the first those who are dead, they're going to rise from their graves. And after they rise from their graves, then those who are yet alive, they're going to be changed. And then they're going to rise to meet Yahshua in the clouds as they then descend to this earth. For a moment, try to imagine what this will be like. Imagine seeing the clouds part. Yahshua with innumerable angels descending from heaven and the elect of Yahweh being changed and transformed and rising to meet Yahshua in the clouds can even begin to fathom this moment, the greatness of this moment. This is what we're all striving to achieve. This is why we're here. This is why we strive every day to do what is right. Redemption and salvation to Yahshua's coming. This is our motivator. This is, again, why we do what we do. This is why we try to hold to the standards. This is why we try not to allow the world to pull us away, to determine our values and our ethics. We determine our values and ethics, not by this world, but by the word of our Father in heaven. Nothing else matters. This world will change. The values of this nation will change. We're seeing great change in the values of this nation. But Yahweh's word is forever and is consistent. It doesn't change. He says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And the reason he doesn't change is he says so that you are not consumed. There's a reason he does not change. By all accounts, this great event will likely happen on this day, during this feast, the Feast of Trumpets. I can't even begin to imagine what this moment will be like. One moment, we'll be sleeping in the grave, or maybe we'll be alive, we'll be changed, and we're going to rise as spirit beings, and we're going to meet our Savior in the clouds. As we also see, Joshua speaks about this in the Olivet Prophecy, Matthew 24, verse 29. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. This all sounds familiar, right? This should sound familiar. Amos and other passages, we find this concept of darkness before Yahshua's coming. It says the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the son of man. This is Yahshua, son of man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. You see, they're going to see Joshua coming, and they're going to realize that their days have come to an end. Their rebellion has come to an end, and it is time now to pay and to give an account of your life. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of what? He says of a trumpet. And they shall gather together the elect from the four winds, from the four corners of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other. We see here that when Yashua returns, and he will send forth his angels. And his angels will then gather the elect from the four corners of this earth. Throughout this entire world, he will go and they will gather the elect, the chosen of Almighty Yahweh. Again, try to imagine the scene. Imagine seeing literally tens of thousands of angels descending upon this earth, gathering Yahweh's people, finding Yahweh's people, changing Yahweh's people, bringing them up into the clouds to meet Yahshua where he is. It's going to be a day like no other. The excitement, the exuberance that we're going to experience is going to be beyond what we can imagine now. I think we all take great comfort in the words we find, and we look forward to these moments. But I don't believe we can fully comprehend how wonderful this will be. The moment that we are changed, the moment that we know that we've passed from being mortal and carnal and, and, and limit, limited to a being that is without limit, that will not end, that will never die. It's going to be an awesome time. For those found worthy, this is going to be a great day of redemption. But for those who rebel, it's also going to be a great day of retribution. You see, we either follow Yahweh and please him, or we live in rebellion and deal with the consequences when they come. It says here that the sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. We've seen many of these same signs in Acts 2, Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. We also see it throughout the book of Revelation. When Joshua returns, he's going to shake the heavens. And believe you me, everybody will know it. Everybody will know that he's returning. This concept of a secret rapture, this is nonsense. It is nonsensical. What we find within scripture is that when Yahshua comes, he is going to shake this earth. And there will be no denying who and what he is. And they, those who've lived a life of rebellion, a life of them and carnal satisfaction, they're going to pay and they're going to receive retribution for their sins. We read this in Revelation 6, starting in verse 15. It says there, And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captain and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is the description of the day of Yahweh. This is the description of Yahshua's coming for the rebellious. It says that the rebellious, the great men, these men who thought they were, that they were above all authority, that they cannot. And they're going to realize that their time has come to an end and retribution is not far behind. Yahshua's coming for many will be a day of fear and judgment. Yahshua also speaks here about a trumpet being heard. As we've already seen, the sound of a trumpet is a common theme found in connection with Joshua's second coming. As we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul speaks about a great trumpet being blown at Yahshua's coming, at his return. And this is why I believe, and many others, that this feast, again, foreshadows this very special time. The time of our Savior's return, the time of our Savior's second coming, when he will return with glory, with power, to strike retribution upon this earth, but also to bring redemption to his people. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42 also speaks about this change, the change of the first resurrection. And again, remember that the first resurrection and Yahshua's coming, these are coupled, these are connected It says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 45. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life-living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. We find here Paul explaining some of the differences between the natural body that we have now and the spiritual body that we're going to receive at Yahshua's coming, at his second coming, at his return, and the resurrection that will follow that. He uses three words to describe our natural body, and that is corruption, dishonor, and weakness. That is how Paul describes who we are today. Dishonor, weakness, and corruption. Now, the word corruption comes from the Greek phora, means to uh, decay or to ruin. Decay or ruin. The word dishonor comes from Adamia, in the Greek means infamy, that is disgrace. And the word weakness in the Greek comes from asthenia, means feebleness of mind or body. So we find here that as carnal human beings, we are described as a being of decay, of disgrace, and of feebleness. And I believe that's true. As we get older, we realize that our bodies will not remain forever. We realize how feeble and how frivolous we are. And we know at that point that we want something greater. And that's why we're here today, because we do want something greater. We want a greater promise. We want a life that is never going to end. And a life not only that will never end, but a life of blessings and peace, as we'll have within the kingdom. Now, in reference to our spiritual bodies, he uses the words incorruption, glory, and power. What a contrast. So the word incorruption is from the Greek, athersea, means unending existence. It means that we live forever. So the new body is literally without limit in time. The word is doxa, refers to sp- uh, sp- splendor or brightness. And the word power comes from the Greek, deutimus. And dudamis means force or miraculous power. So we find that we are going to be raised, that we are going to be resurrected with a body without end, a body that will live on forever, that will never die. And we also find here that we're going to receive a body that is going to have miraculous power, not just live on, but we're going to be powerful beings. We're going to receive these blessings. We're going to be as Yahshua, we're going to see when we are resurrected. Do you see the great contrast between the natural and the spiritual? Between who we are now and who we can be if we live a life worthy of that calling. We'll go to the grave in dishonor, but someday when our Savior returns, we'll rise. As it says here, in splendor and brightness and honor and power, it bothers me to see so many of Yahweh's people suffering today from sickness or disease. I've watched brethren die, I've sat by their bedside as I've de- they, they've died from cancer and, and other forms of sickness, and I hope that someday all that pain will be no more. And believe you me, there's coming a day when that will be a reality when that pain will be no more. For those who've stood in the faith, I have good news. When our Savior returns, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. We will live forever. We will have bodies that are strong. We will have bodies that will never grow weak, that will never decay. This is a promise. This is what this day represents. This is why we're here. We're here to remember and we're here to look ahead to the promise that Yahweh has given to us through his Son, our Savior and Redeemer, Yahshua the Messiah. That's why we're here. No longer will we suffer again from afflictions. Instead, we'll be raised in power and strength. What an amazing promise! What an amazing promise we find here. This should give us all hope, no matter what trial or persecution we go through. And listen, I've lived enough years now to know that life isn't always easy. I have my own physical issues I deal with, as many of you all do as well. And life is not easy, and as we grow older, those physical ailments just become worse, and they become more troublesome. But we have a hope that someday, the suffering that we go through now, the challenges, the troubles in life that we face now, Will be no more. And again, that's the great hope we find on this day. We also see here that while our bodies were sown a a natural body, it says, we're going to be raised a spiritual body. Now, the word spiritual comes from the Greek pneumatikos, which means non carnal, spirit, or supernatural. Now, the Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word as, quote, belonging to a spirit. Or to a being higher than man, but inferior to Yahweh. I've had people ask me where in the Bible does it show that we're going to be raised as spirit beings? We find the evidence here. We see the evidence here, pneumaticos, that we're going to be a spirit being. When our Savior returns, Scripture shows that we're going to receive a new body. And that body is going to be raised in incorruption, it is going to be raised in glory. It is going to be raised in honor. It is going to be raised in strength, and it's going to be raised in power. And again, all the physical ailments that we have now, all the struggles that we have now, all the troubles that we have now will be no more. We know in the kingdom it says there is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. And that is what we're all striving to achieve. There's not a greater promise than the one we find here. There isn't. Because before we can do anything else, before we can enter those Curl the gates, as they say, in New Jerusalem. We must first receive the honor and the blessing of life eternal through Yahshua the Messiah. Can you imagine being a spirit being? Being free from sickness, literally never having any pain, never decaying, never dying, never losing strength. Can you imagine that? Or that's the promise. I know when we're young, we often don't think this way. I th- I think sometimes back to my early 20s and, and how good I felt and how, well, I don't know, and, and, and it's just not that way anymore. And you realize, again, that life is, is finite. Life is short. In my 20s, I really couldn't see the end, and I'm not that old, but I can, I'm old enough to see the end. And time goes by very quick. That's amazing how a decade will go by very quickly, and before you know it, you're 50, you're 60, you're 70, you're 80, and so on and so forth. And he say, where did the years go? Life goes by very quickly. And this is the promise that we should all be focused on. If we're faithful in this life, I'm telling you now that we're going to be blessed beyond measure. We're going to be blessed in ways that we can't even fathom or understand or, or comprehend today. We understand the promise, the concept of eternal life. But I don't believe we fully appreciate what it is and what it represents, and the blessings that we're going to receive through this time. I want to consider one more point here. Paul says here that the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. For the last Adam here, this is a reference to Yahshua the Messiah, our Savior. When our Savior died and was resurrected, because again, it's not enough that he simply died. For Yahshua's promise of eternal life to to be in full force. He had to be resurrected himself from the grave. Scripture says that the Father resurrected the Son. So Yahshua, through his death and through his resurrection, he opened the door for all who would die to him today, symbolically, through baptism. Because that's what baptism is. When we're immersed into the waters of baptism, we die to our old man, but we also die Yahshua's death. And in, in in likeness, it says that we will share and his resurrection. Starting in verse 46, Paul continues speaking about this change. He says, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. And that's where we go when we die, by the way. When we die, our bodies go back and decay to dust, to dirt. And we wait for the resurrection when Yahshua returns to gather and to restore us to a new life. The second man is from heaven, where this was Yahshua. We find here that he pre-existed, by the way, because it says he was from heaven. Not that he was born first and did not exist before that. It says here that he was from heaven. As was a man of dust, so also are those... Who are made of dust. So you see, as Adam was made of dust, we too are made of dust. And as Adam died, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, which we are today, this is what we bear today. We are men of dust, we are people of dust. It goes on to say, We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. For me, this is one of the most important scriptures we find within the Word. Paul shows here that there's two types of being. There's a natural being, and there's a spiritual being. One is of the earth, and one is of the heavens. Verse 46, Paul says that the spiritual is not first, but he says first is the natural. We must first come and be born in the natural, and then, later, we will have the opportunity to partake of the spiritual man, the spiritual being. Assuming we're found worthy, someday these carnal bodies will be replaced with a spiritual body, a heavenly body, as we find here. Now, the word heavenly is from the Greek, uporaneos. Strongs defines this above the sky, above the sky, heavenly bodies, spiritual bodies spirit beings, very different from who and what we are now. The Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word as used of heavenly origin or nature. You see, it's a spiritual nature, it's a heavenly nature. This is what we're going to receive if we're found worthy. We're all born of dust. We're all born natural bodies. And that's the way Yahweh intended it to work. But those who follow him will receive the promise of a heavenly body, of a spiritual body, of a body that is of origin, of of a heavenly origin. You know, we can read this passage and maybe in a small way imagine what this will be like. But I don't believe we can ever again fully comprehend the promise of the resurrection, the promise of living forever. Can you in your mind comprehend that? When you consider the thought of living forever, when you consider the thought of not feeling pain, when you consider the thought of your body will never decay, that you will never grow old, that you will remain the same age you are now and you will do so forever. There is no limit. There is no time. There is no extinguishing of that moment, of that life. That you will literally live forever and you will have power. You will be as a Messiah. I don't think we even comprehend in in so many ways it's so difficult to to appreciate the promise we find as Paul says that we all look through a glass darkly and I think with this we understand the concepts but we look through a very, very dark glass but once it happens I think we're going to fully understand and that exuberance and that excitement is going to be off the charts when we go through this change. Now, speaking about the change, Paul also speaks about this. Moving on to verse 50, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Elohim, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You see, this is a mystery for those hearing, but this is not a mystery to us because we understand it. We understand it. It says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, it says, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, again, we find this connection with trumpet, Yom Teruah, Day of the Awakening Blast, the Feast of Trumpets. And here we find a great trumpet will be blown at this moment, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So listen, we saw in the Old Testament, that trumpets were used for movement, for calling, for alarm. And here we find the trumpet will again be used for movement. It's going to be used in movement from the grave to eternal life. It's the trumpet. And we shall be changed, it says. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is your sting, O oh, Hades or grave? Where is your victory? So we find that death will not exist. Death itself will be swallowed up and will no longer haunt mankind, haunt us as spirit beings. Paul says here the flesh and blood cannot receive or enter in Yahweh's kingdom. Some of you might remember Yahshua told Nicodemus in John 3 that a man must be born again if he's going to enter into Yahweh's kingdom. Where being born again and being changed from flesh to spirit is the same thing. What Yahshua spoke about in John 3 is what Paul speaks about here. Being born again is when we are changed from flesh to spirit. That is when we are born again, is when we are changed from flesh to spirit. It begins with baptism, but... We are not changed. We're born again until this happens. He also says here that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed from corruption to incorruption, from mortal to immortal, in an instant in time, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. As we see here in an instant, we'll cast off these mortal bodies. We'll cast, our, cast off our, our sicknesses. And we will be changed and will take on immortality. And after this, death will no longer exist. Again, try to imagine for just a moment. Going from corruptible being that will die, that is pain, to a being that will never die, that is free of pain, free of sickness, free of disease. This is a promise for those who fully commit now. And this is, again, what this day, this time represents. Now, Paul in Philippians 3, verse 20 speaks about a citizenship. He says, therefore, a citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Master, Yashua Messiah, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things, to himself. We find here that our citizenship is in heaven, it says, and that Yahshua will bring this down with him when he returns. In the Greek, this word literally means a citizen of a commonwealth. You see, when our Savior returns to this earth, he's bringing back our positions, our positions within his kingdom. This is the same promise that our, our Savior referred to. When he said in John 14 that he was going away to prepare a place for us, he was going away to prepare positions for us, positions that he will again bring to us when he returns to this earth. Now in verse 21, we see that in the resurrection, the the Messiah will transform our carnal bodies so that they will be conformed to his own glorious body. The word conformed is from the Greek, zomorphos. And according to Tha- uh, Thayer's, it means to having the same form as another. Sumorphos, having the same form of another. According to Paul, when Yahshua returns, he will transform our bodies into the likeness or into the in- comparable to his own. This is why I believe that we're going to share in all the same strength and power that Yahshua had after his resurrection, that we are literally going to be transformed, that we're going to go through a metamorphosis. And we're going to change who we are today. We're going to cast off these bodies of sickness, these bodies of decay, these bodies of dishonor, and be resurrected with bodies that will never end. Now in in Luke 20, verse uh, 35, Yahshua explains that we're going to be like the angels in heaven. He says there, but those who are counted worthy. Notice that, counted worthy. Some people believe they have this crazy notion that they can do and live as they will, and Yahweh is going to accept them as they are. Scripture doesn't show that. So much of what we hear today simply is not the truth. People don't read their Bibles. Ministers don't read their Bibles. Yahweh says that those counted worthy. Well, this means that we do His will. This means that we live a life for Him. This means that we live a life of righteousness and holiness. So those who live a life of worthiness, it says here, to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given a marriage, nor can they die anymore. For they are equal to the angels and are sons of Elohim, being sons of the resurrection. So we see here, number one, that in the resurrection, it says that we will neither marry nor be given a marriage. So marriage as an institution, will not exist in the kingdom. We also see here that those in the resurrection will be equal to angels, and they will be called sons of Elohim. And I love this one, sons of the resurrection. There's going to be a family tie, sons of Elohim, daughters of Elohim, family of Elohim. You see, we're going to be part of his family, and we're going to be sons of the resurrection, as it says here. Just as the angels live forever, those in the resurrection will do likewise. This is, again, why they're called sons of Elohim and sons of the resurrection. Because they will live forever. They will never die. They will continue on. Paul in Romans 8 verse 23 says this. He says, even ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. This is what Paul wanted. Paul wanted redemption from his body. You see, Paul realized the value of the resurrection. He desired the resurrection. He wanted the resurrection, this redemption of who he was in this body of dust to who he would be in the kingdom. Not only will we receive a new body, but with that body we're also going to receive adoption into Yahweh's family. I'm going to close now with 1 Peter 1 verse 4. 1 Peter 1, 4-7 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of Elohim through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And we all go through trials. It says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation or the coming of Yahshua Messiah. As Peter says here, our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. This is a promise we find in Scripture. The promise of not only receiving everlasting life, but also power and glory in the resurrection. You see, a lot of people focus just on the resurrection. And it's a wonderful thing to know that we'll live forever. But Scripture says we're going to receive much more than that. Scripture says that we're going to rise in power and glory. It's not just about eternal life. It's not about living forever. It's about living forever in strength and in honor and power and peace and blessings some ways, if I would have to live forever in this miserable world, I may not want it. But in Yahweh's kingdom, it's going to be vastly different. It's going to be so different. It's going to be a great and wonderful time and something that we all desire. And here we find that this is what awaits those who again serve Yahweh now, no matter what happens in this life. We find here the resurrection will be raised to incorruption, and we're going to live forever. This is what awaits the called and chosen of Yahweh. You know, people ask why these feast days are important. Some people say, why do you keep these feast days? Why do you keep these days that we find in the Old Testament? They're also fi- found in the New, by the way, except this one, coincidentally. Every single feast day is mentioned by name in the, Old te- or in the New Testament. And I believe this one we find prophetically. But every single feast, we find the Passover, we find Unleavened Bread, we find Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, we find Atonement, we find the Feast of Tabernacles, we find the Last Great Day, we find all the feast days mentioned by name in the New Testament except this one. But again, prophetically, I believe we see this one. And yet people say the feast days aren't important. So why are the feast days important? Number one, number one, Yahweh says to observe these days. Nothing else really matters. If Yahweh says to do, some, do something, you do it. You don't question it, you do it. But we also find another reason for these days is they foreshadow Yahweh's plan of salvation for mankind. The fact is, to really understand what Yahweh is doing, we must keep his days of worship these people who refuse to keep these days, they say, I understand. I know what those days prophetically represent. I say, no, they don't. They, they don't comprehend because they're not doing it. You've got to do it. You know, Yahweh's word is about action. By the way, that's why I believe we look for the new moon. That's why sometimes it's a bit difficult. Yahweh wants us to look. He wants us to be active in our faith. And that's why these things are important. This feast, again, symbolizes one of the greatest promises we find within the Word. It represents the second coming of our Savior and the resurrection of the saints, the resurrection that will give us eternal life through our our Savior, Yahshua, the Messiah. These events are bound together. They are the reason we devote our lives and everything we are to the one we worship. I pray that we understand the lessons and, and deeper meaning of this feast, that we appreciate this time, that we look forward to this time, that we do everything we can, everything within our power to live a life that is holy, that is, that is worthy of the promise that Yahweh has given us. Now, as many of you know, it's are custom to close the feast days with the Aaronic Blessing. So if you would, you can all stand and receive this blessing. Yever a Yahweh that is to say, Yahweh, bless thee and keep thee. Yahweh, make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Yahweh, lift his, up, his, up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. May Yahweh bless.